Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. It's Halloween. Ooh. Oh, spooky. The monster mash. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not we're not doing a, we're doing a film that's not scary at all. Uh, as, as usual. Um, I, I believe we're doing three films and whether or not you think <laughs> they're, they're, they're scary, scary Alan. Uh, no, well, no. I think um like if if you're sitting down for your traditional halloween meal we have three films <laughs> uh we have the thing from another world which will be the starter and the main will be the thing and the dessert will be the thing uh, but a different what, thing what do you have in your traditional halloween meal do you bob for some apples as a starter i imagine well do you remember when we did that at university and we, we but we did it in vodka instead of water. <laughs> yeah we, <laughs> we we stupidly thought oh that would be amazing if we put vodka in the thing to bob for apples and vodka everyone will love it and then everyone did it and the vodka was stinging their eyes it was painful <laughs> everyone who had face paint on for their costume was making the vodka turn cloudy it was not a good idea there's, there's a reason that's not the done thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, well, yeah. Never mind. Yeah, you live and learn, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm Calvin, yeah, by the way. Yeah, that's Calvin. <laughs> he just said. Uh, yeah. The other one, that's Alan. Hello, I'm the, Alan. The, the the ghost of Alan Turing. There's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a gay ghost. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm. Uh, Sol. <laughs> yes. <sighs> it's it's Halloween. We've done we've done three of these before. Is that right? Is this our fourth Halloween episode? That's that's crazy. Is that mm, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Is it our we third been, one? Started in the July three years ago. Okay, now we need to get a life, mate, Alan. You and I. <laughs> I've only got half of one. <laughs> Um, but this year is slightly different in the past we've just picked a Halloween film that we wanted to do for the hell of it Uh, but this year we threw it out to our Patreon subscribers to have their say and they uh, overwhelmingly voted for John Carpenter's The Thing Mm. and and being the, the guys that we are we've taken that to include the uh, original adaptation of the same book that came before it and the 2011 prequel of the same name. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what else was in the running? Uh, there was a lot because I voted. And um... what did you vote for? Did you did you vote for what? What would you have voted for? Let me have a think. Uh... Uh, you know what? I'm trying to remember. Let me have a look because I might still tell me which one I voted for. I reckon you will have gone for Ghostwatch. Ooh. Oh, I think I did actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I did. That's the thinking man's choice. Uh, mm. 
<laughs> the thing, the thing ran away with it, guys. It got, it got basically twice the the amount of votes as uh, second choice, which was I Am Legend. Bizarrely, mm. um, I'd mm. like to do I Am Legend one day. I really would. I'd like that to was... go back to that Vincent Price one. I'm not sure about the yeah, others. yeah, yeah, yeah. The mm. Last Man on Earth and the Omega Man and I Am Legend. Yeah, uh, yeah. So much horror to get to, hey, mm. in the years mm. to come. But this year, it's the thing. Yeah. The thing. Yes. yes. What yes. thing is it? it uh, who's on first? Oh, this Calvin. is going to be like... Sol, it, Sol. isn't it? Sol, have you, Sol, have, you, you, watched the, have you watched The Thing this week? The Thing? What thing? That, mm. The Thing. Have you watched The Thing? <laughs> what thing? What do you mean, The Thing? Well, I watched it. Oh, what? what I did watched you watch? it. I watched it. It? Yeah. Well, no, this week we're not going to be doing it this week, Alan. That was uh, a few weeks ago. It's going to be the thing this week. It never works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing is, Alan, I don't know if you know this about Abbott and Costello, uh, who's on first routine, but it wasn't wasn't actually improvised. They... they, (laughs) They actually very specifically wrote the thing out and figured out. They wrote the thing. I bet Costello wrote the thing. That's they did. (laughs) Oh dear. Oh dear. Yeah. Okay. So we are doing the thing. Uh, so I suppose we should begin with 1951's "The Thing from Another World." The uh... yes. The precursor of sorts to John Carpenter's film, the original adaptation of the book. Mm. Uh, what's it called? Who goes there? Something like that. Well, I was going to ask actually, Sol, if you had read the book, it seems like the kind of thing you would have read. Um, you like your kind of old timey horror. I do. Um, I haven't got round to Who Goes There yet. I mm. do have it on my list to get to at some point. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm afraid I can't really weigh in on the book, other than to say from from what I've read, John Carpenter's film apparently sounds much closer. Yeah. To the book than yeah. uh, the original 1950s making, version. Yeah. Well, if you if yeah. you look up think, if I you think, look up yeah. the uh, Wikipedia page of who goes there, there's a picture of the of the book cover from the when it was published in the 40s, and it's you can see the John Carpenter's the thing sort of in there, uh, as opposed to what they do oh, in the from another world. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I guess we we can cover this one. Briefly, because um, I'm sure that everyone yeah. wants to hear more about the iconic Carpenter film. Um, yeah, I'd seen this for the first time years and years and years ago. I think I saw this one before I saw the John Carpenter the thing. Uh, I was mm. big on my Universal classic horror, uh, and this one seemed yeah. you know similar sort of vein and was on TV, and I was very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very cut from that Universal horror cloth. Uh, what they were doing in their latter years in the 50s, which was largely giant insect and alien invasion movies. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's kind of dull, isn't it? It's it's just lacking mm. a certain spark. Um, mm. I think it it lacks um, an iconic monster for a start. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, the, the, this the vegetable man that they have. I will, I want to say yeah. though, I really liked it. Oh, really? <sighs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm not exactly sure why, 
But it's um, laughing at did, soul did you, grown. <laughs> did you watch it for the first time for this, Alan, or have you seen it before? I'm pretty sure I've seen it before, but a long time ago. I couldn't really remember much about it. Well, the, the, the titular thing from Another World, he looks kind of like Crichton from Red Dwarf. That's how I describe <laughs> it to listeners who haven't seen it. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, he's supposed to be like a giant yeah. carrot, isn't he? Big Is vegetable he? thing. Yeah. yeah, they take a lot of liberties with the uh, original story. It's a very loose adaptation of it. But I, but yeah, the, one a, of the more notable things, one of the most notable things about the film is the dialogue. Um, a lot of people talking over each other, which is very unusual. Like this podcast, yes. <laughs> but really, really quick paced dialogue. It almost screwball comedy esque. A lot of gags. Um, not mm. screwball comedy gags, but you know, they, these are guys who are stuck together and they're throwing witty banter at each other. I really liked that. I gave it a lot of energy. Para Queens? I thought so, Aces. You ought to know better than to try fooling our captain. Only dames can do that. Lieutenant Dykes, I promise Slip you. Slip of the tongue, Captain. What do you hear from the general, Scotty? Oh, your general Fogarty's nursing his secrets like a June bride. Oh, I got an idea. There's a guy in Seattle who knows a whole radar defense story. Loves to talk. General McLaren. Now you tell General Fogarty you want to go to Seattle, and uh, Pat and I will fly you there. I met General McLaren, too. Warm in Seattle. They got girls there without fur pants on. Well, you know why that is, don't you? I, I was about to say, is is that my guess would be they filmed it over like three days and just had to like rush <laughs> oh, through it. Is, is that no, accurate? No, or? no, no. Howard Hawks produced this film. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Howard yeah, Hawks of, of His Girl Friday. Yeah, um, and, and who oh, wow. potentially even directed it uh, in all but name. Uh, certainly was yeah, there really? all the time with his uh, with huh. whispering in the director's ear. So the director yeah. was his editor, his protege, and it was the first film he directed. So Howard Hawks was very much on board. Uh, but yeah, it was. Mm, but yeah, wow. it, it has that feel. I really like it. Um, it. There is definitely a feel of we we can't do another take. That'll do uh, in some of the some of the <laughs> things. Definitely. Um, but the editing is quite choppy. The, the, there's a definite feel of like thrown togetherness about it. But when it's a, f- a film like this, it, it just adds to the charm somehow, and uh, I really like it. And there's the classic moment when they 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 stand around to the outline of this thing they found, and it's a giant saucer. I really love that. This kind of great. Oh, that's the moment. best bit of the film. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of. <laughs> it is of its time in the sense of there is very much a kind of like, oh look, we found this thing, blow it up. Oh look, there's a creature, kill it. Uh, <laughs> which I mean, they do do in the later yeah. films, but only after they've been threatened. But there's a there's yeah. also. A real conflict between the scientists there, and one doctor particularly who wants to save this thing and 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 mm. kind of experiment on it, and the air force guys who are just like, no, we need to destroy it because it's dangerous. Uh, and mm. it's and it's an interesting, especially at the time it was made, 1951. You know, there was a bit of an anti-science thing because of that whole mm. nuclear bomb thing. <sighs> So and, like... and, you know, yeah, I mean, the whole communist witch hunting was going on around this time as well, wasn't it? I, You know, which was a lot of intellectual people being put on trial and um, yeah. and all that. So I, I just felt like how rah-rah military men the film was. Uh, it didn't feel too that might bad for me. It felt more like, well, you know, it's like five years after the war. This is, this is how it is. Yeah. Really, rather than anything particularly. That's true. Dis- disgraceful but in terms of the like, cold war comparison that tension you see much more of that in the later version when it is there is actually mm. a real paranoia of like okay who's who's been taken over who's the replacement because in this in this adaptation of it there is none of that because the creature is just this creature and 
It doesn't mm. shape shift or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's some very nice moments to it, and, and I genuinely really enjoyed it. Um, and I've definitely been generous with my feelings towards it, but that's because it's got it's got that kind of old worldy charm to it, that kind of B movie mm. charm. Yeah. Uh, it, it's got charm. Like I I didn't dislike the experience watching it. I just, when I compare it to similar films of the era, which managed mm. to do all the things that this does, except you know have genuinely creepy moments as well, which is, I mean, it is supposed to be a horror film. Yeah, uh, I must admit, I'd never thought yeah. of it as a horror film. It hadn't occurred to me, really. No, and the whole monster's just really silly. It looks very bad. And it's uh, just and a think... kind of strong thing. It's not... It, yeah, it's yeah. kind, it's like kind of a strong a... vegetable. It, it's your classic Scooby-Doo villain. It's just a big guy goes... Rah! Yeah... Mm. Yeah, and this is like twenty years after Frankenstein was doing that, so it, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. just feels date. It feels older than nineteen fifty one. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to do you want to rate it? We'll move on to our our uh, our main course. Mm, mm. Yeah, uh, I'd, yeah, I'd give it a five. I'll um I'll give it a, a very generous seven. Ooh. Um, I think it's easy enough to sit through. It's maybe more of a six, really, but I'll, yeah, I'll give it a seven. Yeah, I definitely feel I'm being generous. I gave it an eight, mm. uh, but oh. that that really sort of reflects that I just really enjoyed watching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I I do like, and I, it's worth mentioning this now before we get into this. I do really like films where there's like a small group of people are stuck together. Films like Alien, for example. So it, it does push a lot of my buttons. This, um, so you know that is part of it. Mm. So the thing. It, someone decided it was a good idea to make a remake of it. Mm. Can I? Can I just off the back of John Carpenter? How do we feel about him? Because I, I get the impression, Alan, that both you and I are quite skeptical of John Carpenter in general. I, mm-hmm. I remember watching They Live with You uh, when we lived together in Brixton, <laughs> um, and we were just laughing at it. Basically, from what I remember, I don't think any of it really worked on the level it was intended. I've seen a lot of his films. I've seen in the the Mouth of Madness and Village of the Damned and and things like that. And on the whole, I I don't tend to come away thinking, "Wow, what an what an amazing filmmaker! What a, an excellent filmmaker!" Yeah, I agree. I I think John Carpenter is one of those filmmakers who has never risen above a kind of low budget indie filmmaker feel, but then, but then most of his I don't know, I feel like he's operating at a level above that, and so he needs to be judged more harshly. But mm. that was just down to Halloween, basically. It was such a big success. But, uh, no, I've never been convinced. No, no. Mm. And I, I there's, as we're going to deal with here, and in sort of uh, Assault and Peace Precinct 13, there's a lot of things that I should really love about John Carpenter's films, and I don't. And I think that's because of the direction. Mm. At one point, I think I would have described myself as a fan. Like, I'm obviously a big Halloween fan, and then because of that, you go on and you see a load of John Carpenter's other films. And I think that when I was doing that, I quickly realized, oh, I don't actually like him all that much. Like, when you look at a list of his filmography, it's like, all right, yeah, I've seen Halloween, that's great. I've seen The Fog, that wasn't so great. Escape from New York, yeah, wasn't so great. Big Trouble in Little China, didn't love. Um, Village of the Damned, 
didn't love uh, the ward I saw, which also didn't love. So there's actually more film. Yeah, the, the other, there are two films in his own filmography that really stand out for me. One of those is Halloween, and the other one is The Thing. Uh, and I guess I'm putting my cards on the table quite abruptly. But yeah, I, I think these are the two films that he will be most remembered for. And mm-hmm. I think that he certainly... Maybe it wasn't completely by accident, but for whatever reason, the planets align in such a way. Maybe he just yeah. has the right team around him. He has the right idea, the right script, whatever. But it just it works for some reason. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to the thing... What is it that people walk away from going, oh, that was amazing? Is it the effects? Is it the creature stuff? Because that is very uh, cool. I mean, that's that's part of it, definitely. I think that's a superficial reason, but I think there's a lot more going on. I yeah, think I it's I a film that you can actually a read a lot into. Oh, okay, I then. Well, this is, will be an interesting uh, discussion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, The Thing is the exception to the rule for me. That is the film that makes me think, wow. This guy makes good films. This is honestly, I would watch the thing and think that it was from a, a masterful filmmaker, and then it is mm. kind of is, is very odd. I and I think it is one of those cases, like you say, where the stars just kind of aligned. They caught lightning in a bottle. Everything just kind of went right. Because mm. um, I I do truly think the thing is a a, a masterpiece of of horror sci fi. I think it's absolutely outstanding. It, it's obviously a very impactful iconic film you know it's it's had a big influence and and rightly so i think this for me was a film i came to when i was first getting into cinema and i I think that is a big part as to why i love it as much as i do i i think it was one of those you know i'm I'm a 16 year old boy and and suddenly i'm being presented with this this stuff that these concepts that just click with me at the right age the the idea Mm. of this shape-shifting alien and seeing it realized in such a cool way with these animatronic special effects and unflinching gore it wasn't that i was a mm. whore uh, a whore <laughs> fuck now it wasn't that i was a gore hound at that age but um i definitely liked films that weren't squeamish to show gore if it was you know relevant mm. yeah I, I i loved this film growing up and and it's the first time I've watched it for this podcast, it's the first time I've watched it in a long time. And honestly, for the first half hour, I wasn't sure that it was going to hold up. I was a bit worried. Um, mm. I, I thought I was still going to enjoy it. I, I still loved all the stuff with the dog running through the snow, but it was really when they got to the the alien just being crazy that it clicked. And I was like, no, I love this film. I love it. Mm. Mm. Well, I uh, my... I think my major problem with it is I think there's a distinct lack of character uh, in the people and I'll give you that the interactions with them and I what I really want is the paranoia the suspense the kind of the interplay between the people the creature for me is secondary the creature is a kind of an external threat not not only do I think the paranoia is there I I, I think that blood testing scene is is like the masterclass in how to direct a suspense scene. That is one mm. of the most... I would put that up there with the tavern scene in Inglorious Bastards, the best of Hitchcock. Honestly, mm. I, I think that scene is outstanding. It's well, an exercise in I, paranoid I guess I, I didn't. That is the bit that's and it got the paranoia. I, 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 it's, I, it's a good scene. It's certainly not striking me as, oh my god, that's an amazing scene. 
and it's not enough to make up for the other hour and 20 minutes of the film. I, and I want that for at least 40 minutes of the film should be that, you know? And, it, and it's sort of too busy doing kind of like, oh, look, here's a monster. Shoot it with fire. And I'm just that. Love it. It, it loses me in that element. Love it. It, oh, that monster! Ooh. And like we, uh, how quickly they show the monster. You know, it's like there's no mystery or suspense Good. about it. It's just like here's oh, the fucking yeah, great big monster thing. Well, I, I I think that's fine. Yeah, I did make that note that it's surprising. It's unusual how willing they are to show it and show like give you big long shots of the thing. But yeah, I think but that's do they good. really show it? I mean, it's a shapeshifter. It doesn't really have like a a. a a, you know, a trademark form, I don't think. I mean, I think the uh, monstrosity it becomes at the end is about as close as we get to, like, uh, you know, something that you would make a toy out of and have on a shelf, but I, I think that's... I love a toy of that head with spider legs. <laughs> I think that's precisely why they do show it as much as they do, because there isn't, like, one form that you can just get used to and then, oh, but, you know, after an hour you're not scared of it anymore. It's like, oh, no, it just changes constantly. Yeah, It's proper, like, body horror stuff, which I find really quite terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So the film opens with a kind of shitty CGI spaceship flying through space. Is it CGI? It'd be a model, surely. Uh, I think it's a model, but it's kind of... It doesn't look good, does it? It's um... No, well, no. That's the worst part of the film. I don't think it should be in the film. Everything after that is golden, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, otherwise um, we just start following this dog. Uh, yeah, but then that's the that. That is an incredible opening. Just your oh, oh yeah of 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 all the enigmatic openings to a film that exist. You you open on a helicopter chasing a husky dog. <laughs> Helicopter chasing it, men trying to shoot it. They land in this this uh, research outpost and start trying to kill it. And and the American mm. people can't communicate with them. They're Norwegian. Mm. Um, just up front, you're overwhelmed with like what the fuck is going on? Questions mm. and and it's so I don't know. It's it's a start to a film. I I struggle to think of something better on a true. Oh, it's um, a great hook. And just, like, what it yeah. does to you, like, because obviously, like, you know, when you see, like, like you just said, like, huskies are absolutely beautiful animals, and I think, you know, even if you don't like yeah. dogs, I think there is just an instinctive, like, oh, poor animal, like, why are they <laughs> yeah. trying to kill it? Why are these foreign people who I can't understand trying to <laughs> yeah. harm this lovely thing? And then, I, I guess you're kind of on edge a bit, but it just, yeah, I mean, you, you don't really know where it's going to go. You don't know that the thing is going to be in the dog, Right yeah. from the off, I don't think. Uh, and then we're we're introduced to our characters, I suppose. So so they they don't kill the husky; they kill the Norwegians instead. <laughs> the husky gets put in a pen with the other dogs, and uh, we meet our characters. One of whom is Kurt Russell, mm. uh, young Kurt Russell. Yeah, who's like the only name in the film, really? And even then, mm, Kurt Russell yeah. is B list at best. There's a, I mean, there's a couple of. B-list superstars in here, but I'd say well, Keith David I like a lot. Yeah, well, this I, is a I very love Keith David. I'd... Young and live Keith David as well. He was not. Yeah. This was one of his first yeah. roles. Wilford Brimley yeah. as well, but he was a relative yeah. unknown at the time. Yeah, but I think that's it. I think these are this film largely made the career of Kurt Russell and Keith David. I would say maybe one or two other films in their filmography as well. But um, mm. the thing I've realised is. 
as much as I love this film, I didn't really care about Kurt Russell either way. And he's suddenly started having a bit of a renaissance in his latter years now because people like Quentin Tarantino and James Gunn love him from these old films that they loved and have started casting mm. him. I, I, I really quite like modern day contemporary old man Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. I think he's great. Mm. Going back to him here, he's just not as good as a young man. It, it, he's just not got the same, I don't know, like charisma to him that he. I, I does have to now. say, I, I can't say I particularly care for Kurt Russell either. Not that there's anything wrong with him. It's just, you know. But yeah, here I think part of my problem with it is that I don't like the character. Uh, yeah, there's and he's a dick. Like, and, he, and I, I don't know how deliberate that is, but it's certainly as he's painted as the kind of the central hero character. I, I'm not on board. I mean, they're mm. literally introduced to him of him yeah. destroying a computer Throwing in a sort of moment of pettiness, yeah. and then later on, <laughs> a very expensive bit of machinery that other people would probably like to use. And yeah, this is an facility. '80s computer. It must have been a fortune. And then later on, he refers. Well, he refers to himself as the even-headed one or something like that, which is why he's kind of in charge and they let him have the guns because they trust him because he's the sensible one. It's like, well, obviously he's not. He's, he's completely mental. <laughs> but this is my problem with in terms of like John Carpenter's direction. I think that scene at the beginning where he destroys a computer, albeit in a non-aggressive way, but I, I think that's supposed to be like showing him always oh, a bit of a reckless, he's a bit tear away, like you're not sure what he's going to... I'm not sure what they're trying to do with that character. I think it's meant to endear you to him. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's like. Who do you think you are, Sylvester Stallone, destroying eighties computers? <laughs> but but um, I think that's supposed is, to be endearing, and it's that's just. Yeah, I do. I, do. I I think it works insofar as there's a real subtext that I think we'll get onto in more detail uh, later, running through this film of of toxic masculinity, you know, left unchecked. <laughs> it's 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 this. It's a boiling pot of of you know masculine ego, just spilling all over the top, boiling over. Um, so I do think there's an element of him being a kind of obnoxious dick, but I think we're meant to be on side with it as a kind of oh what a lovable rogue rather than mm. how it plays to myself and you, which is like oh he is just a bit of a cock. Um, mm. But it's not enough for me to dislike the film. I, I think he's frankly, I think he's a bland enough character, and these are bland enough characters that it's it's easy enough to kind of use them as a cipher for yourself and just kind of project yourself onto them. And it, it, it's it's a film that's less about it's not a character study, is it? It's a plot driven film, so it's more about oh, what would I do in this situation? And mm. I think mm-hmm. it works. What I want level. is a character study. I think I think that's part of the problem with the film. That's not this film. You know, that's yeah, just not what it's trying to be. Not as interesting as it could have been. I'm fine with the characters not being terribly well fleshed out. Yeah, um, I, it doesn't. I don't think it it matters really. I don't know if yeah. this film would be any better. I think the the themes are strong enough to sort of carry the characters through, even if they are just archetypes. Well, go on then. Tell me what what is that's getting you in. I think you're supposed to get soaked into the atmosphere and the the tension. I think. Even like I've mean, Sol already pointed out the blood testing scene, uh, which I agree is just an absolute like masterful um, piece of work. But even bits like when the dogs are in the um, mm. you know in the pen and the thing is just sort of like sprouting out and mm. it's it's just so tense. I I find it really yeah. And yeah. I, I'm I'm genuinely surprised you don't like watching 
the uh, very authentic portrayal of animals in distress that we get in this film. I'm normally a big fan of that sort of thing. I did like it when they were obviously just squirting goo on a dog. I was going to say, they're blatantly just hosing him down. (laughs) Yeah, that dog is just like, why why are you doing this to me, master? I thought you loved me. Why are you hosing me down with this foam? And and the bit where it's trying to bite its way out of the cage, which, I mean, again, talk about special effects in this film. That that mm. that's just a, a a mesh that's been made with a kind of um tasty dog treats it was <laughs> it, it was like a crystallized sugar gelatine uh, substance they used to make a, a a a mesh with and then they just get the dog to jump up and bite it but then you watch this dog and it, it it's fantastic animal acting it's genuinely quite distressing to watch this dog appear to be so upset and and it's just brilliant. I think <laughs> I really do. Well, I like I like that scene. I like the scene where they're doing the blood test thing. Although I don't think I quite love it the way you guys do. I like when they're tied up on the settee and are panicking and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> what else though? What else? Two scenes? Is that it? Is that well, what I'm working on here? Well, no, oh, no, uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I was talking about atmosphere in in general. I think it carries through the whole thing. There's just a yeah. like it's a very nihilistic film. It's oh yeah, just the yeah. Futility of the situation these guys are in. See, this is this I, is I never exactly feel like what I'm talking about. I should love this. I love nihilistic shit. Yeah. I love things where everybody dies yeah. at the end. I like Alien Three for God's sake. Like, come on. <laughs> I I just don't get on with it, and I think it's because. I think what it comes down to is a lack of character, and I don't get on board with the characters, and that's what I need. Mm. I need to be involved with the people. The threat itself, mm. I'm not interested in the external threat. I want to know about the internal threat, the paranoia between them, that kind of fear between them. Mm. I, I, I think the paranoia plays beautifully, though. There, there's that shot early on where you see the dog, the thing dog, uh, walking down a hallway and there's just a shadow and it goes into the room with this person and you don't know who oh. that is and and yeah. uh, John Carpenter made a point of not using any of the actual actors to cast that shadow so that you had no understanding of really? who it actually was. Yeah, yeah, it's just oh, like a, a, a body double, stagehand kind of person. Mm-hmm. I imagine it was just like a PA or someone they had sit in, but and that that's not like an incredibly intelligent decision, but it's that sort of decision making throughout the film that I think does lend itself to this real sense of absolute paranoia and and conceptually, you know, that this idea that any one of you could be this this thing and it, it could corrupt any one of you, it could corrupt you. I I think it's a beautifully tense film from from start to finish. Really, I I think it's honestly. I think this is my favourite straight horror film of all time, by which I mean it's not a horror mm. comedy, it's just straight up a, a, right. a serious horror film. And I, I think yeah. it's genuinely yeah. very scary. Um, it, it's See, that's more, interesting. I don't think it's scary at all. I don't think it's scary on a kind of uh, visceral then and there basis. I think this is much more big, sweeping end-of-the-world kind of horror. It's it's existential mm. horror that this film's dabbling in, and I, I find that kind of horror very effective, personally. That's the kind of stuff that gets to me far more than the, you know, I could be talking to Calvin, and then his head turns into a big set of teeth and bites me that scares he, me. No, he's had Invisalign now. It's not so bad. <laughs> 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 
but it's you know it's the idea that this unstoppable thing could infect all of humanity and and take it over within a matter of days that gets to me and and I, I don't know if you have a do you have a sense of that threat because it's so isolated do you, do you get a false feeling of what that means I do um, yeah I I think it's largely down to a scene that I'm not a huge fan of which is the the magic computer scene where the guy goes <laughs> yeah. and says like computer uh <laughs> tell me all this stuff and it's stuff that like Alexa couldn't even begin to figure out now if you now like the other day if you don't enunciate exactly right Alexa won't even be able to like play the right song for you so the idea that you can just <laughs> type in how quickly will it take over the world? And the computer goes, uh, 72 hours. <laughs> and, and it'll like animate a little uh, thing for you just to demonstrate how the cells work and stuff like that. It's kind of annoying, but I can go with it. Computers that's such an alien it. moment. That's like yeah. the bit from Alien where Tom Skerritt goes in to talk to the computer. And yeah, um, yeah it's, yeah, I mean, alien is very much uh, an influence here, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, what about the special effects then? Because when I first came to this mm. film when I was younger, this was a huge part of what what drew me in. And it, 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 there's no significant CGI anywhere. The thing itself is a whole load of animatronics. And mm-hmm. when I was younger and I watched this, I was blown away. I, I thought it was the most outstanding example of effects work in cinema. Watching it again the other night, it didn't quite hold up uh, like I remembered it. There are times when it obviously is like a silly puppet, but it's still <laughs> yeah. very fucking impressive. I don't know. I think it held up pretty well, actually. It's one thing I will praise about the film is that those practical effects are great and the monster effects are really, really visceral oh, I love and evocative. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, a, you know, like The Fly, like like Cronenberg stuff. The the bit where his head comes off and then it sprouts legs. Oh, I, and, yeah, you know, I love some it. Really, like, not just, oh, look, we've got some cool monsters, but actually, that's a really, that is a scary thing. Like, a head coming off and then growing legs and it's like upside down head and... Yeah. And that's it. That That's what really connected me, uh, connected with me when I was younger. It was, it was the degree of imagination that they brought to the design, uh, the art design yeah. and the, the concepts. It was the fact that it wasn't just a, a little green man, you know, it wasn't just a scary alien thing. It, 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 like you say, it's mm. the head crawls off of the body and it's upside down, so it's not even quite being used properly as a head, but then the mouth still moving like a mouth screaming in pain. And If that was a head with thing. legs on it, it's it, it's not that good, but an upside down head, because the the creature has no sort of real recognition of what a head is. It's just a, it's just yeah. a bit of mass. And it pulls legs yeah. on for practical purposes. And yeah, and this kind of gaping mouth. Yeah, very, very good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's always and, a compliment when, in these kinds of effects, like obviously it's effects and we know it's models and whatever, but when you can't tell like where the real like person ends yes, and where the effect yeah, begins, yeah, like, I love that kind of stuff. Just when you can't figure out like in the moment, like, oh god, mm. how the hell did they do that? Like, yeah. particularly that bit like when the, like, the belly opens up oh, and his yeah. teeth and it uh, yeah, eats off the doctor's arms. I love that bit so do you, much. Do you know how they great. did that? I don't actually. Oh, really? Uh, well, they they found a a man who'd lost both of his arms. <laughs> no <laughs> way! Yeah. They oh found, my god! I they was... found a, a oh, double crap. amputee, and then they they put 
a rubber mask of the actor over his face, basically, to get like one huh. quick shot of him going, ah, with no arms on, where he looked like the other actor. And hmm. there you go. And uh, yeah, I think it's astonishing. It, it's because yeah. you could do that with computers nowadays, but it, it's just so mm-hmm. visceral to see it yeah. done for real. It, it's something about it. And mm. and that that's the kind of effects work that just permeates every pore of this film. It, it's just constant, that sort of thing. There's, mm. um, I, I, I couldn't even begin to, to tell you how they, for example, do the blood effects when the blood actually like lands on the floor mm. and then crawls across the floor. And it's we covered Terminator 2. I keep going back to Terminator. Uh, we covered Terminator 2 the other week and we were praising the astonishing special effects in that film from 1991. So nearly 10 years after this film came out. I think the blood mm. crawling across the floor is 10 times better than the liquid metal effect uh, when the, the T-1000 pulls itself together again. The, the, mm. the liquid mm. Terminator, it looks great. But it ultimately kind of looks like you're pulling metal across the floor with a magnet or something, or like tilting something around. But the way the blood moves in this film is perfect. Like, I cannot yeah. fault how they've done it. It's astonishing. Yeah. What about Dr. Blair, played by um, Wilfred Brimley? Wilfred Brimley. And he, Diabetes. They. Because he destroys everything, he's the one who kind of goes, oh my God, we can't let anyone get a pass of it. He destroys all the radio and stuff like that. That's that. Yep. I liked that, and then it fe- like felt like that never went very f- to anything. Not with him, but with in terms of like, oh, now mm. we're trapped here. The radios don't work. It, I don't know. It just felt a bit I, thrown away. Yeah, I I I really like his character. I, I realize we haven't spoken about it yet. I think he's a really just likable presence on screen. I, I think he's just a nice. He's a nice counterpoint to the other men because he's obviously older and less in shape and everything and i love that bit where um kurt russell goes to check on him and he's like made a noose or it's a noose isn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah uh this is like oh fuck <laughs> what's he gonna do but this is what Leave i think to it. i want to i want more of maybe there's the, the the idea that how where he goes from i've just i've discovered what these cells are doing i need to destroy everything to, like somewhere in the middle where he tries to convince someone and they don't believe him or or like they he starts doing something but they stop him but then he escapes and does something else and all this sort of stuff and then they lock him in the in the shed and kind of gets forgotten about for a long time and then this sort of reveal at the end which didn't work for me that he but dug a cave and built a spaceship but alan the film the film's a study of masculinity and crisis and men don't Men don't talk about stuff with each other like that. Is it co- that consciously, though? Or... I think it is. It, it removed um, any women from the proceedings, for a start. I, I, mm. There's certainly a woman in the 50s film, and a, a whole love mm. plot. I think that was added to that film. But I, I think there is a, a woman in the book. I, I might be wrong there. Mm. I, I think it was a very conscious decision, though, to, to have an all-male cast. I, I think that is by design, and it isn't just classic... Um, Hollywood, what women? Oh, I guess maybe we should consider putting a woman in it, but <laughs> I, I don't. I think it is de- by deliberate. I think it's there is a real subtext of like, I, I mean, to use a modern turn of phrase, toxic masculinity in this film, and I think that's by design. I, I think it's critical of the the way the men kind of operate with one another, and it. 
Yeah. Sorry, you might actually be right with that. I've I've only just noticed now that John Carpenter didn't write the screenplay. That's uh, a man called Bill Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which uh, sorry, I I was just talking under the assumption that John Carpenter obviously wrote it, but he also didn't do the music, which is yes, yeah, yeah, uh, unusual for John Carpenter. Well, yeah, you know who did do it. Ennio Morricone. Yeah, who was nominated for a Razzie for worst music <laughs> uh, that year. Another parallel with The Shining. Um, Jesus. I know, it's it's bizarre because not only is the music in this film fantastic, but it's incredibly iconic. I, I oh, would, yeah. I would say it's the most iconic John Carpenter film music. Uh, I think when people think yeah. of John Carpenter's film scores... They usually mm. think back to the thing, which is actually, as you say, Enio Morricone kind of emulating John Carpenter rather than John Carpenter doing the music himself. Um, Can I just take us back to the toxic masculinity thing? Because yeah. I just don't buy it. <laughs> can you can you justify it a bit more? Because I think you're say, you're saying that you know these guys don't express emotions very well and all that. I just think they've been written very shallowly and and don't ha- have any emotional input. Like men. I don't know if it was very consciously written into the film, but I think subconsciously, certainly, I think it's there. The, the, the ending with Kurt Russell and Keith David, I think, is very, very much born out of that idea of, like I say, they're kind of just about beginning to connect and they're still not quite there. And I think that is born out of a very male relationship. And I think, like Calvin says, there is a real sense of loneliness because these men aren't friends they they don't really interact in that way you know you, you you're introduced to kurt russell playing chess with a computer rather than playing chess with another man mm. there which i think is a very conscious decision and whether or not they've all stopped playing with him because he keeps throwing the, his drink on them <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I think i don't think that that was a mistake i i think maybe they i could totally buy that they hadn't consciously thought this is about masculinity but i think those ideas were definitely swimming around in their head yeah i just don't i don't think it's conscious at all i think it's written by a man who's gone well right i need to write a male character he'll be sort of strong and silent okay i need to write another male character he'll be like a little bit more panicky i could totally buy it was written by a man who embodies all sorts of problems with masculinity and and who put enough of himself into his art that it comes through. I, mm. I think that's fine. It, it's you know, And I believe like, that the, the director happened. and the producers and everyone read that and went, yeah, this is a perfectly uh, rational expression of masculinity. This is the things we see all the time. I don't think it's deliberate, though. It's just... Because I don't think it's an exploration of any of that. It's just an expression of it. I, I don't think it's a deliberate exploration. I think it works even if it's just subconscious um, or unintended. I think it is deliberately getting into, like Calvin says, areas of loneliness and that sort of thing. And I just think inherently that goes with the territory, doesn't it? So... Mm. See, I I think my problem, I think what this this film is getting at is, oh, look, there's a monster, run, we're going to fight it. Oh, no, fire. That's what I think this film is getting at. And I think everything else is just incidental. It comes from perhaps the original story has more oh, wow. depth to it. And I think everything else is at best a subconscious reflection of the the filmmakers. That's what I'm that's what my main problem with it is I don't think there's any depth to this film. I don't I think it's very superficial. 
Oh, I think there's a lot of depth. I was just saying, when, when I said, like, I don't think it was intentional, I was specifically talking about the uh, exploration of toxic masculinity. Not, I mean, I think, like, the themes about isolation and um, yeah. the nihilistic stuff, I think that's all very much intended. Yeah, I, I think all those things just go hand in hand. And I, I, I think the masculinity stuff's kind of been swept along very, very mm. possibly subconsciously. But I do think that, you know, for example, I do think, that John Carpenter went, right, we're going to make this all-male, no women on the base at all, because mm. that will be lonelier. And he might not mm. have thought yeah. about that on a deeper level as to why that is, but he subconsciously picked up on men interact differently and, and don't support each other the same way. So I think subconsciously mm. it's there. And and like Calvin says, I think there is a real sense of, like he says, isolation, loneliness. The, these are very clearly consciously explored in the film i would say and uh mm. how how um i mean just the the face of it they're they're in a fucking arctic base like a bajillion miles away from civilization they're yeah. they're like completely the film goes to great lengths to to stress how they are completely on their own in this situation and they have to fend for themselves and they can't call upon others for help I just know they're all doing. They're all just t- bothered doing their own thing. They're not really yeah. interacting much. They only yeah, ever really. They only really interact to complain about each other to one another. Be it because mm. you know. Be it because I think so and so is a monster. Let's kill him, or mm. turn your fucking music down. I hate it. No, I'm going to turn yeah. it up. They play they're, table there's... tennis. They play pool. the only one that i get any sense of sort of like warmth from is the animal keeper the one who's keeping the dogs and even then i know that he shouldn't be um you know getting very close to these dogs so that kind of flips that on its head yeah and and, you know think about how they uh, react to this uh threat you know they 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 literally isolate dr blair even further don't they is Mm -hmm. it Blair. Yeah, they, they and he says uh, at one point, "I want to come back in. I don't want to be out here on my own." Exactly. Is that and, it? And you know that. Well, is that the exploration of, of the, the isolationism? Guy, the one at one point, the guy says, uh, "Let's not cook for one another now. On from now on, we have to prepare our own meals. We have to do this." They're in order to beat this thing. They have to keep you know removing themselves from one another even further and even farther. And and yet. If they were to actually just spend every waking minute with one another, that would be a a, <laughs> a means to solving it. Frankly, I, I think there's loads going on with this subtext. No, Honestly, don't get me wrong. I think draw... there's lots of things that could be explored here. I think this story is great concept, and I think there's loads of stuff you could do with it. I just don't think this film does it. Not not to any great depth, anyway. Maybe, yeah, maybe it doesn't yeah. explore, but it, the the themes are there. I, I think. Yeah. Um, should we rate this one and then move on to discuss yeah. the uh, the third one? Uh, I can go first. Um, I, I think I've seen... This is the third time watching the film now, um, and I've loved it. Well, actually, when I first saw it, I must say I, I wasn't overly thrilled with it. I must have watched it when I was about 16, something like that, maybe even younger when I was just sort of getting into films, and this was one that was supposed to be like one of the big iconic films and i think at that 
point, um, I didn't really ap- appreciate the nihilism and the, some of the things on a more thematic level, what we've been talking about. Um, now I really do, and it's one of the things that I most love about the film. So, um, yeah, third viewing, I, I came out of it thinking, oh god, no, actually, I think this is a real genuine horror masterpiece that I'd put up alongside next to, like, you know, Alien or, or Psycho. So many great horror films. I think it's probably John Carpenter's best film. And for that reason, it gets a 10 out of 10 from me. Wow. (laughs) Well, yeah, no argument from me. I I, I think it's absolutely John Carpenter's best work. Um, To the point that it almost feels like it's a different filmmaker entirely who's made this film. Um, I I agree. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I I give it a 10 out of 10. Okay. Interesting. Happy Halloween! (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Well, that's interesting. I mean, I'm not even sure I would call it a horror, frankly. Um. It's an absolute (laughs) horror. This is... um, Oh, for fuck's sake. Why? Why is it not a horror film, Alan? It's not horror film. Because it's not scary! (laughs) What is scary? But I don't want it to be a horror. I want it to be a a, a suspense thriller. Well, it is a horror. It's meant to be scary, therefore it's horror. Okay, well, it fails on that level, then. Um... No, it doesn't. You know, I think all the things we mentioned, I won't go over it again. I I just find it quite superficial. I, I think there's so much potential here that, that doesn't get used, and that frustrates me. And I think that's something that I get a lot from John Carpenter's films. I do feel like I gave it a generous rating, though. I felt because I'd been generous for the previous film, The Thing from Another World, I, I felt like when I was on the cusp, I, I, I went generous. Um, I gave it a 6 out of 10. Hmm. Generous. A generous six. <laughs> what did you give the last one again? A seven? A generous eight. Eight. An eight. Oh, Jesus. Hmm. <sighs> right? Well, I mean, yeah, whatever. <laughs> You're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> now now we're going we're gonna to discuss the prequel, and he's going to be like, I love this one. I think it... <laughs> I, must... I think it encapsulates... Uh. Look, I've, oh, I've listened. Oh I've God, listened to what go. you've said about this film, and I can't say you've won me over, frankly. You know, and so I'm still, I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with the six. But yeah, so why did they do another one, a prequel slash kind of a reboot? Were they trying to get something else going? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was, um, there was a, a four part mini series in the works before this, in I think 2005. Oh. Uh, for Sci-Fi Channel, so probably a good thing it never got made. But it was being produced by Frank Darabont, hmm. which kind of oh. makes me really sad that it never got made because he's only gone and made the the best film of all time, according to several metrics. Hasn't he? <laughs> um, oh, he's so overrated. <laughs> oh, I know. He, he he did the Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, and then. Oh, that Green Mile. Kickstarted The Walking Dead, and to be fair, season one of that show is excellent. Um, <laughs> so I, I would love to see what he what he was going to do with it, but it never got made for one reason or another. Um, and it, it sounds interesting. Apparently there was a scene where... I mean, th- <sighs> this sounds like maybe it's a good thing it didn't get made. Apparently there was a scene that involved a guy cracking open an egg and frying it. And then the egg yolk jumps out the pan because it's actually a thing egg that's uh, that attacks him. 
don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It makes sense in the world, I guess. It makes sense, but it sort of turns it into an inherently comedic take on the source material. And that's something we should say. There's very little in the way of humour or brevity in in the thing. It's very serious Mm. and straight down the line. And I think that's important Mm. for the the tone of the thing. Mm. Uh, But yeah, my understanding is that basically, and this is a very simplistic take on the events, but I think essentially Universal greenlit a remake of the thing and the directors kind of snuck a prequel into production instead, and they were okay Mm. with it. I think they basically said, we don't want to do a remake, we're going to kind of do a remake, but it's actually a prequel, because for all intents and purposes, they're the same thing. Um, Mm. Because we're just going to do another ice base with a different cast being attacked by this same concept of an alien. Yeah, I I think they do quite a good job of tying it in without being beholden to it because they yeah. it's prequel so it's yeah i think they do quite a good job of that actually yeah so if you haven't seen this film uh listener it, it is a prequel set in the norwegian uh arctic research facility that is visited by the characters in the original film and it explains what happened that led to them chasing a dog in a helicopter and the opening of the previous film Kind of an unnecessary film to make, but they did it. And I think I'd rather they made this than a remake, personally. Yeah. It adds yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, more yeah, to I the lore, so, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And and basically, this is a very... I think it got pretty negative reviews. It, it's, it's regarded as a shitty follow-up. I don't mind it. I'll, I'll just come out and say it. I think it's alright. I think it's enjoyable... It rehashes the first film. It doesn't bring much new to the table. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more conventional Hollywood cookie cutter filmmaking, but it's still like a fun horror movie with a cool alien and a lot of cool special effects. And uh, mm. I'm all right with it. Yeah, I it, it, I it was much better than I thought it had any right to be. Yeah, yeah. I watched it in the cinema when it came out. Uh, expecting the worst and was pleasantly surprised then. I went back to revisit it the other night thinking well it's not going to hold up, I'm going to hate it. No, it held up, I, I enjoyed it. Um, hmm. Well, I loved it. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I, no, I, I kind of did agree. You, did you especially love the Did you love the way they got a load of English speaking characters into the Norwegian base uh, <laughs> so that we didn't have to put up with them speaking foreign? I was surprised just how much foreign there was in it. Actually, for a, for a non foreign film, mm. uh, but yeah, I mm. I agree with you. Basically, I think it's a perfectly fine functional little film and. It's a it's perfectly fine addition to the original. It's perfectly watchable. It lost me towards the end when it's just sort of a bit running yeah. around and stuff. But yeah. I liked the, the all the stuff with them paranoia. I liked the fillings thing. As yeah, a, that, as a, I, I like that they didn't just rest on their laurels and repeat the same test. That yeah, they it was found something a new, new way to kind of do it. Yeah, I did but like also that a lot. I, what I liked about that was it gave you a definite positive like human but yeah, not a yeah. very definite it, it, negative so there was still it could eliminate resentment people, but not yeah 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 i like that yeah that i think that that was good that built up a lot of tension and stuff uh, yeah. yeah 
so the main character is uh, a girl called Kate Lloyd, a woman, who, a woman mm. uh, called Kate Lloyd, a who woman. is. Um, I, I say girl because I my first ever like primary school girlfriend was a, a girl named Kate Lloyd. Um, <laughs> oh, she, she did she look like Mary Elizabeth Winstead? No, no, not <laughs> <at all. laughs> So, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, believe it or not, was my main uh, Crush. draw to watching this film. Uh, I, I love this actress. That. What shit film is she in that you like? What she is in the film? remake of Black Christmas. There we go. I knew she is something. in Final Destination Three. <laughs> oh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. <laughs> Live free or die hard. She was really riding a crest of of stardom around this point. That yeah. I feel like it's gone away, and I was like, I was like, whatever happened to her? And then I looked her up, and she's still doing like she's in a load of stuff from last year that I liked. So I don't know why I don't remember any of it. Yeah, <laughs> I like her. She's just someone who like I think she's much better than the stuff she often gets sort of um, yeah. known for. I, I, there's something just really nice and likable about her. Uh, I think she's a, a very good actress. Um, and then there's this this sort of main guy who's positioned as a kind of I guess he's positioned as a kind of romantic interest for her, isn't he? That guy. I'm talking about the guy who. If he looks familiar to you, it's because he played uh, young Lloyd Christmas in Dumb and Dumber when Harry met Lloyd. Yeah, Eric uh, Christian. He's also. got a real. He's got. He's that's the guy. That's the one. Yeah, oh. he's got a real like covert Jim Carrey vibe about him, but you you don't realize it until he puts on the wig. Until oh, he him gets a bowl yeah. cut. Hmm. They, well, they 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 really kind of eschew a kind of love interest idea in the film. He, they, they, there's a sense that there's some history between them. They know each other, but I don't know if it ever gets further than that. And I, I think he's set up as this is going to be the the love interest, and then it doesn't go anywhere, which is the way I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is an interesting thing, as we said in the previous film. It's an all male cast. They've distinctly gone for a female lead here. Um, and she is posited as the kind of the hero figure. She's the one who takes control of the situation. And it's never it's never expressed really the fact that it's a female character. It's not. It it, it doesn't. It's not relevant. Yeah. I, I think was you could say it's not could, remotely relevant, is it? But I I think it, they don't they don't link into it at all. But there is perhaps an element of the the doctor guy, the whoever he is, who is kind of in charge looks down on her a little bit, perhaps because yeah. of age, she's not as experienced, perhaps because she's a woman. It is set in the eighties, of course, so you can sort yeah, of you yeah, can distinctly yeah. make your characters be less politically correct and it's kind of it doesn't have to be a thing. Um so but it's never they never lead into it. They just kind of let it go. Uh and it's not something they play with. Yeah. Which is a bit of a miss a trick really, but Perhaps yeah. better to just let it go, let it let it pass. Mm. How do you feel about the rest of the cast? Uh, there's a lot of Scandinavian actors in the mix, um, Trons and and Heinrichs and things. <laughs> <knocking around> the <laughs> so not people I'm familiar with, but I mean, well, it's as kind generic of like the, monster the, fodder. There, the fine. 1982 version. There's a lot of people you've never heard of. It's but they, yeah. they're solid and they're, they're there. Yeah. Uh, and you've got Joel Edgerton, who is kind of the yeah, what's American. The, what's the deal with him? <laughs> what, now in his career? 
Well, just in general, he, he's like he's like a guy who's in stuff, and I'm always expected to like they credit him as if I know who he is. <laughs> I, I must say, I I do have that exact same thing with him. Like I remember yeah. like seeing a couple of things that he directed, and I sat down like, oh, this is a Joel Edgerton film, and then I was like, what do I actually know him from? And then like looking <laughs> through his, I, I'm not sure if he's ever had like a breakout performance. He's been yeah. in plenty of stuff, and he's had good roles. He was in like Star Wars, so he's in like fairly successful stuff. Um, he was Zero Dark Thirty. Kinky Boots was his big thing. I recall correctly, because he's the lead in that. The film, yeah, the film, the non-musical film. Yeah, not not the boots. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, I'm sure he has had. Uh, You know, Warrior was quite a big thing as well. Yeah, well, this is it. He's been in plenty of stuff, but I I don't really think of him as like a list star. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree, but. I think he was there for, in 2011. He was potential, I guess. Hmm. I guess just in very broad sweeping strokes, I I don't like that the thing is quite as gung-ho in this film. Like, it literally explodes out of the ice, it, it, like, when they're defrosting it. And, it, it you know, it, it's a much bigger, more bombastic threat than in the first film, which feels a bit more insular and, and spooky. Um, mm. And I, I think that's I think that's largely from special effects developing. I think there's probably a sense of having to up the stakes from the first film. Mm. But I, I do think I, I prefer the approach the first film takes. This one's a bit louder and I don't necessarily like it for it. That said, I, I do like the thing as it's realised here. I think it's... Um, I think it's still got loads of really cool, imaginative, you know, monster design, and and you know, particularly when it takes over the the other woman character, uh, and it's yeah. running around with you know coming out of her chest and her face with all these tendrils, and it's still quite fucking unnerving. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the effects work in this film is a damn shame actually, because I remember when they were producing it, they made a big song and dance about how the entire film was basically going to be done practically with with animatronics and maybe a bit of CGI to touch up the effects. But then somewhere along the line, a a studio exec came and said, no, cover it up with CGI. CGI Yeah, they they filmed it with practical effects and then they sort of covered it over later. Yeah, yeah. And and the end result is that it just kind of looks like CGI. That's a shame. I, I struggle to believe that what they had before didn't look better. I mean, look, maybe I haven't seen the raw footage. Maybe it looked terrible, but I I just don't buy it. <laughs> I reckon mm. it probably looked fantastic, and a producer got cold feet. Mm. Well, there's the the director who sort of come from nowhere, as far as I could tell. He hadn't done a lot, and then uh, hasn't done much since because apparently he had such a terrible experience working with the American studio system. Oh, that he was just like fuck that, I'm quitting. <laughs> oh wow! So he's he's sort of getting back into more TV stuff. But I, I heard mm. you might know more about this, Sol, that he was going to direct uh, a sequel to uh, Zack Snyder's. Is it Day of the Dead, the one he remade? Oh. Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Oh, was he? Was he? Attached to the um, the sequel, army of the dead, and then it never happened. Kicked back into gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so they gave him. Now. They gave him this job basically as 
recompense. Oh, you're right. They did do that. I remember that from 2011. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they were originally developing a Dawn of the Dead sequel. Uh, somewhere along the line, that film died and then came back to life, much like Zombies. Uh, and it is now being produced, I think, with Zack Snyder in the director's chair for Netflix. I, th- I think it comes out next year starring the likes of Dave Bautista. So, hmm. um, But yeah, you're right. The director was going to do that. I completely forgot that that was a thing. And, that you know, I think they definitely approach this film as a fan. I, I think they definitely approach it with, you know, reverence and, and respect. I, I, I think they do quite a good job overall. I, I think, if anything, maybe you see too much of the thing, too much of the monster, to the point that it stops being scary. I know we mm, kind of said yeah. that you see plenty of it in the other film and it's not too much, but I don't know, you never see it for too long. It tends to run away after a while in the other film, whereas in this you just get so much of it stalking the corridors and 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 I guess there's a real sense that in this film you are just watching the characters march towards an inevitable conclusion, but I I find it very entertaining in spite of that. Um, and I I do like the way they tie it in with the first, and you're like, oh, that's an axe in the wall. I know that comes back in the other film. Oh, that's yeah, a... and the the double face thing, and yeah, it never nice feels thing. it never feels contrived, you know, in, no, in a no. way that it could have done. It, it all feels very natural and and reasonable and i watched them pretty much back to back and it felt all right yeah to me. i did if you've been a, a gap between them you, you did, it might be even less obvious but i did think obviously yeah, you know you're working you know you're working towards this thing where these two guys are on a helicopter chasing a dog and our central figure of this film is a woman and the fact that there's significant that she's a woman because you know she isn't one of those two guys at the end Mm. that's Um, true yeah so that was kind of like okay so what's going to happen here and you know one of them has to be a helicopter pilot but the Joel Edgerton character is a helicopter pilot so I'm thinking okay so he's going to survive at the end all this thing so it does kind of drop questions at you which they it sets it up as a yeah you're saying it's like you know where the ending is but you don't because of these elements that they're throwing in yeah Um, Yeah, and I did like the bit at the end where They've kind of beaten the thing, and then she decides that Joel Edgerton's character is an alien, and she she kills him. I'm an alien. <laughs> I'm an alien. <laughs> um, so she kills him, and what I liked about that scene is that he does not turn into an alien uh, in any way. He he stays as human form and dies. So either he's an alien who's really committed to the bit, or she just kills a human. <laughs> And I think it's deliberately like she's a bit like, oh, maybe he wasn't an alien. Oh, completely, yeah. There's a real ambiguity. Uh, I, right, I like that too, yeah. Yeah, I like that mm. element of it. Uh, the whole bit, it, it does kind of build up a lot of good tension and stuff, and then it loses it because it's like, okay, we just have to kill everyone and get to this spaceship bit that yeah. we've decided to do at the end. And I, and I think the spaceship bit is just a bit too big and silly for... I get why it's there, but it just feels like a bit of a... We've gone too sci-fi compared to everything this franchise has done before. It's it feels a bit silly, mm. but it works. It's fine. Mm. I have one more question, which relates to both both these films. Okay, is there a particular reason why on an Antarctic base you would have so many flamethrowers? <laughs> 
Um, I think it's a nice quick way to melt ice. Yeah, if you need to, yeah. you is need it, to defrost something, it makes complete sense. Is it? Is that a? Is that a sensible and safe way of melting ice? I'm not. Um, I'm not convinced. Yeah, you need to yeah. cut a pathway through through like <laughs> ten feet of snow to get your crane over or something. Uh, yeah, I think it probably is a pretty decent way to do it. Yeah. Do you remember that time, Saul, where we had um, slippery steps at our house in university, and <laughs> you thought a solution would be to pour boiling water on the, on the steps? Uh, which, fair enough, it did Water which snow. is known for freezing into ice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it did create other problems. <laughs> did, I, did I put boiling water on it? I thought I... I tried by getting the salt shaker. I was like, salt melts oh, ice. And then I sprinkled sense. a bit of salt on it, and I was like, oh yeah, you need more salt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, you might have been right. Maybe it wasn't you. Yeah, because I just remember whoever it was very proudly going over and like doing it, and then like, huh, well, that's the snow, gone off to bed. And it was like, huh. <laughs> Invisible. Don't know ice. about this. <laughs> yeah. Then in the morning, it was even worse. <laughs> Oh god! If we'd have had a flamethrower, though, yeah, would have been yeah. I'm not convinced, frankly. I want someone who works in Antarctica to call in. Look, you don't know what they're studying, Alan. You don't know what they're studying. They could be developing flamethrowers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Should we rate it? I I guess I'll give it a seven. Yeah, yeah, seven. That's fair. Um, Yeah, it's better than it has any right to be. Uh, and I think Mary Elizabeth yeah. Winstead is immensely watchable in everything. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm also a seven. I, I think it's thoroughly entertaining, even though it's lacking in any real uh, artistic merit or flair that the first one has. It's very much just riding the mm. the the first film's um, the Carpenter one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. very much just riding on the back of that. But it, it, it you know, it's fine. I enjoy it. I. I'll probably watch it again at some point. It's, it's. I think it's decent. Seven out of ten. I, I, yeah, I sort of on the same level. Really, very watchable. I give it a sort of sturdy six. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it's quite positive. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. it's not a very well regarded film, but uh, yeah, it's fine. I think it's. It? I think it's been very harshly treated. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, and it has sort of been forgotten about, really. Mm, yeah, and and the franchise has really it, it. I I think it's a shame and quite surprising, honestly, that there's been, as far as I know, zero talk of a a third the thing movie since it came out. And I, I guess that yeah. was only eight years ago. It feels like a longer time ago than that. It but... is surprising, giving all the eighties nostalgia of mm. late, that this yeah. very iconic eighties horror film hasn't yeah, yeah the, no, been revived. The people anyway. weren't like. Oh, let's bring back Kurt Russell and do a, a you know, <laughs> semi reboot sequel. Like, yeah, I've got an idea the oh. uh, the Kurt Russell Keith David old men buddy film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they both got rescued at the end. Yeah, yeah. Now they they went back to normal life, but then there's a new thing around, and they they get brought in as the experts. But they they're like now sixty five years old or whatever they are. It'd <laughs> be great. But they're best mates. <laughs> <laughs> All that time to bond. Yeah, they they went yeah. the same therapist. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, when when I was watching these films, I I was thinking how weird it is that there aren't more sequels because it it 
I don't know, I kind of remembered it being so self-contained and, and like, you couldn't possibly do a sequel to it. But you could. I mean, it is a self-contained story, but it'd be so easy to kind of do a rehash and do more of that. And and my... I, I think the obvious way to kind of do it, and to do it in a way that might be compelling and interesting and different enough, is the thing gets to civilization. You you do, you know, yeah. it's not even difficult to write that. You, you, you do the rescue team get there months later or whenever, they find the the carnage and evidence of what's gone on. They're like, what what in God's name? They also find some frozen specimen of like a fucking God knows what humunculus zygote, <laughs> like half aborted, whatever the hell thing alien monstrosity. And they they take it back to civilization, and and some of the particles survive, and suddenly you've got apocalyptic level thing in the city. I, I think you could do something really... Provided you could conceive of a way to not have it immediately consume the Earth, I I think you could have some real fun with the thing in suburbia. You couldn't just do an AVP and have it take over a town and then you yeah. get the end and yeah. there you go. That's yeah, it. Well, that's it. <laughs> yeah, even if you don't want to go as big and playing with fire you you just have it you know taken to an army base or something where it's you know a new mm. set of characters a new environment but still largely isolated hey you could you could just keep going back in time you could do you could do a prequel to the norwegian film where you see the alien <laughs> spaceship that it took over that's a point actually yeah. do you how do you read it i i read it that that isn't the thing's spaceship that it's another species spaceship that it's kind of taken over the the beings of and they hmm. presumably look like the kind of crab monster in the ice that they defrost yeah well then mm-hmm. i i re- i was re- i hadn't taken that meaning at all but then i was reading about it when i was reading about the prequel and in that it was i mean they had a whole deleted scene where they expressed it very explicitly uh they find these creatures who have been killed and then they find this pod that's been smashed open and um that's where it's got out of uh which they took out but i like that idea uh boy it hadn't occurred to me just watching the film now but i really yeah. like it as a well well it's it's either that or the thing just has a spaceship that it likes to fly around in but I, yeah the, the idea that it's a parasite that just feeds off things is is better, isn't it? Yeah. It's more interesting. Yeah, and I, and I I think that lends itself to it crashing to Earth in a kind of uncontrolled mm. way, rather than just landing and taking over the planet as well. So, I mean, it's very much it's very alien, though. I mean, it's very yeah, yeah the space jockey and yeah, and all yeah, that. yeah. I think it makes it more animal. It's not like. You yeah, know what I mean, you're yeah, not going to yeah. be able to just chat to it and reason with it or communicate with it. And yeah, it's just. Like like alien, like the the xenomorphs. It's, exactly, that's mm. what makes that alien scarier than like uh, you know ET. Yeah, that. yeah. What are you up to for Halloween? Uh, I'm. I think I'm going to my friend's Halloween party that they're throwing. What are you going to go as? Uh, I'm. I'm planning. <laughs> I'm planning to go as Alan Partridge when he dressed up as a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Alan, what about you? Oh, I'm just going to sit at home meeting cheese. <laughs> meeting cheese? <laughs> Eating cheese. Ah. 
Do you know what? Actually, I've, I've moved, I've recently moved house to a place where there are a lot of families and kids and stuff. Maybe oh, I'll, so you might so get I might have to just be avoiding the door, <laughs> not, making sure I don't go in the kitchen where they'll see the lights on. <laughs> it's all right. Just, yeah. just, just open the door once, and I'm sure word will spread. <laughs> <Ding dong. laughs> Hello, kids. Ah! Yeah, yeah, very good. That's where old man Alan. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, Patreon, for choosing the thing. Yeah, thank you, everyone. You're responsible for this. Yeah, good on you. What, what, if you wanted to become a patron, you could just go to patreon.com forward slash dimreturns and pay $1 a month. $1 a month? Is that all it is? Yeah, just $1 a month. I already am a Patreon. Yeah, well, I'm talking to everyone else, Colin. Oh, right. Oh. <laughs> yes, go and join us and get extra content, such as the Q&A yeah. thing that we've just recorded. Ooh. Yeah, that'll be up before this, probably. So, yeah. And more on the way. More to come. Thank you for listening. And just to let you Patreons know, there is still an active poll at patreon.com forward slash dimreturns where you can vote on what we'll cover in our Christmas episode. And thank you to everyone who voted in this poll, which gave us the thing. We also just want to say a big thank you to Tom O'Fallows, who made the horror film theme music to this week's episode. And while we're thanking people, let's just mention Tom Patton, who helps us every week with the YouTube channel. YouTube channel is now up to date. Uh, If that's an easier way for you to listen, just search for Diminishing Returns Podcast. If you enjoy the show, then please go and rate us on iTunes. Now, this is a really big deal. It's something that people really take notice of. So please, please do go and rate us there if you haven't already. Thank you. See you next week.